What up, y'all? I'm Candace Otis, and you are listening to Hungry and Humble Podcast, a podcast that explores the current lives and different journeys of women in the hospitality industry. Thanks for coming out. This week, we sit down with Michelle Chen, an executive pastry chef born and raised in Queens, New York. We explore her established career and journey throughout different restaurants around the country and the impact food, friends, and faith has shaped her life. Let's do it. Hi, friend. Hi. <laughs> you Can look you- so you look so good. <laughs> this is my monkey shirt. Oh. <laughs> Did you wear it on purpose or it just so happened to be today that you were wearing your monkey shirt? No, I, I only wear this shirt when I'm in a really good mood or if I need to be in a good mood. Got it. I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate the monkey shirt. You look so good in your hair and your earrings. Oh, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Thank you. Well, hello. My name is Michelle, last name Chen. And I was born and raised in Queens, New York. And I am currently back in Queens, New York. And I'm 29. And I have been a pastry chef in the hospitality industry. I love how you said Michelle, last name Chen. (laughs) (laughs) You're so funny. Thanks, Michelle, for coming out. Happy Sundays. (laughs) I appreciate you so much. I love you so much. This has been like a treat. I've actually told several people that I was going to have you on the show or uh, on the thing, and they were incredibly excited. (laughs) Because I talk about you a lot. Um, they're probably like, who the heck is Michelle? Like, who? Oh, no, they know exactly who it is. Like, I'll, I'll be like talking to my sister and I'll be like, yeah. And she was blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. My sister's like, who are we talking about again? I was like, Michelle Chen. She goes, okay, cool. <laughs> she knows Michelle Chen. It's so cute. All right. So let's um, dive a little bit into your history. What was it like growing up in, in Queens, New York? What was it like? <laughs> it was it was interesting. Um well, I like I like to say that I never knew how diverse New York was until I left New York. So when people ask me a question like that, I just have to really retrace back into childhood days, right? So even from the time of public school, I went to a very diverse elementary school. Um and Living and growing up in New York is just very different. Um, lots of people. Even in high school days and everything, it was hard for people to understand that I spent 40 minutes commuting Ooh. all the way into the Bronx just to go to school. Um, why yeah. Did to, why did you go to school in the Bronx? So in New York City, there's a testing system and there's a set of specialized high schools. So it's kind of like what our election would look like if we got to do ranked <laughs> ranked choice, right? So you take a standardized test and you put down your top like three or whatever choices that you want for the schools that you're aiming for. And then depending on your score and the ranked choice that you gave, you can choose to either go to that school or go to your local public school in the area. Understood. Understood. So basically, I took a test, and my parents were like, you aim for these schools, and if you get to any one of them, you go to that one. Got it. Mm-hmm. 
Got it. And then, so did you go to school in the Bronx, like, pretty much your entire, like, middle school, or elementary, middle school, and high school, would you no, say? No, just high school. Just high school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then so middle and elementary were by your zone. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so I would love to talk about, like, one of your first memories surrounding food, or one, one of your favorites. Like, what... Was there a moment when you were like a kid or growing up or later on in life where you're just like so appreciative of like the way that food or baking or et cetera just like made you feel? Oh, so many. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I might get a lot of hate for saying like where I was interested in cooking and learning about it, but I used to watch a lot of TV as a kid, a lot. And the person I watched the most was Rachel Ray. Oh my goodness, I loved her. I loved her show. I loved Rachel Ray. I'm not gonna lie. I had her knives and everything. <laughs> yeah. People like people hate on it, but I'm like, whatever. Listen, she was helping a lot of home cooks out there. She um, had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So it was just kinda like starting off with watching TV shows with her and then Food Network challenges and competitions. So that kind of sparked a little bit of like, oh, this looks fun. It looks all magical. It must be easy. No sweat, blood or tears, right? So there's that. But then I think because I grew up in such a diverse community, I was exposed to a lot of different types of cuisines early on. So even talking about like elementary school, they used to have uh, days where we would appreciate different cultures from around the world. And they will make it a point to assign certain days out of the year where we would all do potluck style and bring in a dish from your own culture and your family that represented you and sharing and stuff like that. So I would say that was probably the first memorable food experience. And then came Rachel Ray. (laughs) I love it. It's so cute. Um, (laughs) No, I understand because... I, like I said, I grew up on the t- the TV network, but I also had, like, my mom and dad were always cooking around me. Like, my dad was, like, the barbecue pit guy master, and then my mom was just, like, I got to feed my babies. <laughs> um, I'd love to, yeah, like, uh, so let's expand on your journey from high school. Like, when was there, was there a moment, like, in high school where you're, like, I'm going to be a chef, um, or you were just kind of, like, or did you, like, kind of fall into it, or wh- what what happened? Right, like, how did, how did I end up here? <laughs> Actually, it's funny that you brought up, like, oh, you know, your parents were always cooking and you were exposed to all that. Um, my family did cook. It was mostly my grandparents and then watching, like, my mom and my aunts cook and everything. But I was never allowed in the kitchen. Oh, I know. Like, you're not to touch this knife. You can't help. Like, you wouldn't understand. That. Just go away, right? Oh, so of the thing which is why watching tv shows was like okay well maybe maybe one day i can do this right she says i can why do you say i can um but yeah so actually if i were to give like a little bit of context the school i went to was technically specialized in the sciences right and it was kind of a very hard time in my life i was going through a lot and feeling very unmotivated not having much direction at all. And you know, as you're getting into your junior year, senior year, you gotta start thinking about college applications, right? Um, and around those years, I started taking different elective classes. And one of them was nutrition. And it would involve a little bit of 
cooking once out of the week, breaking up into teams and doing different uh, projects and not just learning through the textbook, but actually making dishes yourself, right? So that was a lot of fun. And then it came time to meet up with our guidance counselors to talk about like, our future. We were thinking about applying and everything. And I told her, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing with my life. She's like, well, are there any special hobbies that you have or interests that you haven't really explored but you've thought about? And so I kind of told her the same thing about watching TV shows and like watching baking competitions and thinking that it was really fun and how a lot of Chinese people don't bake. Like in our culture, desserts are usually in the form of a soup or steamed. So the first time I had like a cake from cake mix or brownies or anything like that, it was like, oh, sugar high, oh, this is so fun. <laughs> I wanna do this. Um, so I told her that and she suggested that I maybe check out some cooking classes or baking classes outside of school. And I did look into it and I found a cake decorating teacher in the Bronx because my school was in the Bronx. So I was like, okay, what's nearby and everything. Um, looked into it and then I begged my mom if I could do it. She was like, no, you can't do it. I'm like, please, it's just one thing. It's only for like two months and it's temporary. So she said, you're, what you're gonna end up doing is you're gonna go, you're gonna like it, and then you're gonna end up wanting to do it for the rest of your life. And I'm like, no, it's just a class. It's just for artistic freedom, you know? It's just for a hobby. And she's like, all right. So she caved, she let me go. And um, when I was trying to book the lessons with the teacher, her name is Ajike. I wonder if she's still around. Um, over the phone, I remember her saying, you sound really young. How old are you? Oh, I'm 17. She's like, oh, you are really young. Okay, all right, well, you come on in. Scheduled our first class, and, you know, she introduces everything to me, all the tools with the piping bags, tips, talking about, like, the muscles you're going to be using on your hand and everything, right? Um, and then before we start, and while we're doing the lesson, she's like, you know, you really are my youngest student. I'm like, well, how old are all your other students? Everyone is pretty much a lawyer, doctor, nurse, engineer in their 40s and 50s, and they're wanting to switch over their career at this point. So you are 17, <laughs> and you are my youngest student right now. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, so that's kind of how that got the ball rolling, and it was through that teacher that I found out about Johnson & Wales. And so when I was doing my college applications and meeting up with my guidance counselor a couple more times, I told her I wanted to look into the school. And she actually said, I think Providence, Rhode Island would really suit your personality. <laughs> and so, yeah, that, that's what started it all. And, and she was right. <laughs> and then I applied. I applied to all my other schools that I should have applied to. I know. And I just decided to go for it because... And I talked to my parents about this too, you know, if I were to change my career at any point in my life, I'd rather do it while I'm young and I'd rather try this out when I'm young. Mm -hmm. That's fair. But, oh yeah. my gosh. I never knew that actually. I never knew that entire story. Did you know that? Really? <laughs> why we do these things yeah. <laughs> I learned so much more about my friends and I'm uh, I'm thrilled about it that's awesome um I love that she like talked about the muscles that you would be using that's very like very specific I love that <laughs> you're such an interesting person um because she had her own side business other than teaching 
she would do her own catering for cakes. And I remember she said she catered for Pharrell once. And she's like, oh, he's like the nicest young man. <laughs> I, heard, I heard he's actually very nice. Yeah. Um, I ran into Fat Joe in France. What? It was in the train station. Yeah. We're like, lean back. <laughs> yo i know that's not the first words you said to him hey yo lean back <laughs> oh my gosh excuse me mr lean back <laughs> um mr lean back was my father call me fat joe <laughs> i'm just messing um and then so you went to johnson and wales and talk about how spectacularly wonderful and amazing it was, or not. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I mean, I had a good time at Johnson & Wales. I really, really did. Um, not just for, like, the program's sake, but I, I feel like your college years are where everyone's trying to figure out what life is going to be like for you as a young adult. You're learning more about yourself. You're learning what networking means and just a very different season, you know? Um, yeah, I personally had a great time at Johnson & Wales, but. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> but if I had to be honest, I felt like it was really good at preparing you for lingo, just understanding the rhythms of what to expect when you're looking for a job. It was very heavily focused on that, I think. Um, but. I wish we had a little bit more exposure in the pastry program to restaurant life. I definitely think the culinary arts program had an upper hand in that sense because you guys did dining room service. You guys did, um, what was it? A stock room. Yes. Yes. Which is where you worked, you know? Yeah. So you obviously know. I about remember that. that. Yeah. We knew about like distribution and like um, ordering and purchasing and then, you know, and actually like, understanding every single aspect of like running uh, a restaurant but I understand what you're saying about the pastry program um yeah yeah I didn't I, I didn't realize it until you literally just said it though because it's like I feel like it's in a bubble you know what I mean like it was in this like sort of like you had all the time in the world to make all of these pastries and make them perfect you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> and which is like true but at the same time I feel like that's not how it is in the IRL, you know what I mean? In the real world, so. No. Um, Looks different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was that part of just my perspective on just structurally how the program was designed. Um, but other than that, I really feel like I got a lot out of my college years on a personal level. So I was involved in school, but I wish I had been a little bit more involved and participated more, which is kind of how I, I have always been as a student. Like I keep to myself. I'm not going to be very active around people, but I wish I'd taken the time to get to know my chefs a little bit better. I mean, I still talk to some of them and whenever we cross paths in life, then like, you know, it's always a good time, but I definitely didn't have the life that you had where you really got involved in school events and everything. Well, I, it was a, double whammy because it was I kind of accidentally fell into all of the school events like I on one hand I just wanted to focus on my studies but ironically enough those were a part of my studies so it would help me grow 
in mm-hmm. class. You know what I mean? And the only reason why I volunteered for those events is because half the time I was working those events because I needed money to pay for school. <laughs> so half the time I didn't ask to be there. I was like, I gotta be here or else like I won't like I, I don't know who's gonna pay this bill. It ain't gonna be my mama. <laughs> like and she already paying some sort of bill, but like I gotta pay the rest. You know what I mean? So um, a lot of it was kind of a means to an end, but it also worked out in my favor because I got more exposure. Like you said, it I got more networking um, opportunities. Like I met people that I never thought I would meet and still talk to and still have connections. Like I could call up one of them right now and be like, "Hey, man." Well, not in this climate, but like <laughs> if it was a year ago. <laughs> If it was a year ago, I could call them up and be like, hey, man, like, I'm looking to move to Tahiti. Like, you know anybody out there? They're like, actually, I do. I'll hook you up. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's things like that because you've established credibility. You've established these relationships with these teachers and these mentors and et cetera. Or just other alumni and just like chefs, people. You know what I mean? Um, and you've been able to like form those bonds and like, I, like I still talk to them. I mean, I, <laughs> me and you, <laughs> I talk to you every week, girl. Because <laughs> um, oh, sorry for the listeners out there. We uh, we met at Johnson and Wales. Um, I want to say my junior year. I've lost track of time. <laughs> oh well, that means I met you in 2014. I met you in 2014. 2014? 2014 was when I moved back to Providence. So that's why my uh, my memory is just all junk up. Let's talk about Gracie's. <laughs> um, so right after you graduated, that was your first job, correct? No, actually. Oh, tell so me more. <laughs> networking and Johnson and Wales and promoting career paths, right? Uh, we would have two career fairs a year, I think. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. And I volunteered at the fall one, I think, of my junior year or the spring. I might be getting that mixed up. Um, I had met someone at a booth who was all by himself, like everyone flocked to Disney and Compass Group and all those big companies. And you know, I went and I stopped by there too, Swiss Bakes and everything. And then I just see this guy on his phone and he has all these pamphlets laid out. And I don't know why, I just stopped by. I'm like, hi, and introduced myself. He's like, oh, hi. I'm like, well, can you tell me a little bit about- What are you doing at this booth? (laughs) Yeah, because I didn't hear, I've never heard of it before. So I was like, well, you know, so we're a fine dining restaurant in Boston and uh, we're looking to hire, but we're also looking for interns. So I was like, okay, well, um, I'm a pastry arts major. Like, are you guys looking for anybody in the pastry department? He's like, no, we're really just looking for culinary students right now. So I was like, okay, well, have a good day. Uh, it was nice to meet you. And I walked right past. And then about a year and a half, two years later, I ended up applying to that same restaurant because they were looking. And that was when I was getting ready to graduate from school. And I had met and staged and talked with the pastry chef at the time. And I met the same guy at the booth who ended up being one of the sous chefs at the restaurant. His name's Peter. He's like, you know, you look really familiar. I'm like, well, you look familiar too, but that's because you look like the actor on New Girl. He's like, oh yeah, I hear that a lot. And we didn't find out until later when I dig through some emails that that was, had met. that was the original connection. Yeah. And so my boss at the time, Jared, <laughs> he got upset. He's like, why didn't he say that we were looking for pastry people? I need people. Like, I always need people. Uh, 
Wrong answer, Peter. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that was my first uh, restaurant job. At Les Balliers, right? At Les Balliers. Yeah. Both in Massachusetts. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> that was where it all really began. <laughs> tell, tell me all about it. What was that like? My goodness. Um, it was intense. It was intense from the very day that I staged, and I still have a very fond memory of how the whole day went down. It's really hectic. Made like huge coffee cake for their farm dinners that they would uh, have every now and then. Watched service from beginning to end, and then they fed me way too many dishes at the end of the night. They just had me stand there and watch me eat while they scrubbed and cleaned. I felt wow. really bad about it. Like, oh, you enjoy yourself. Um, I didn't realize, but that's what they do when they like Asajj and they want to hire them. So, Yeah. Um, yeah. And then how long were you at Les Balliers? 14 months. 14 months. Solid. Yeah. And then what made you want to move back or leave or anything? Mm-hmm. Um, so in the 14 months that I was there, I learned a lot. I think that's really where it kind of ingrains in me the idea of discipline and learning to organize your day, how to work with people, what a restaurant looks like and how it's supposed to function. So because I never had any prior experience, I just kind of got thrown in there. They needed people. Um, In the very early stages, I remember there were mornings on the shift that I worked where I didn't really work with anybody and I just had to try to figure it out. I didn't do it well until the next person came, you know, three, four hours later. And they're like, you know, so what have you gotten done? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Help me. And they slowly taught me the ropes, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was a crucial part of my career because I feel like the intensity of that restaurant really shaped my work ethic. So I knew you don't leave until the job is done. Yep. You just don't. <laughs> Maybe different nowadays, but this is your responsibility and you're going to have to honor that. Yeah. And I think it's um, important that we're so malleable um, and also like high functioning, mm-hmm. inc- like incredibly, like at the beginning of our career. You know what I mean? And especially if it's in a healthy environment, I think it's like the best thing for, I could say for a young cook is like to be able to grow and mold and shape yourself into the, and like, like you just said, like earning the, the understanding and the concept of like discipline and hard work ethic, you know what I mean? And like establishing those values um, early on is so important. It's so important (laughs) because it is literally shaping you into like, hopefully the best version of yourself, like, you know, career-wise, like, cook-wise, um, um, I think it's really, really important, honestly. Yeah, I won't lie, it was really difficult for someone with zero experience. I'm very grateful that Jerry gave me a chance, you know what I mean? He could have hired someone with a lot more experience and a better background, you know, like, the girl that was starting with me, she came from Bouchon, and all these places, I'm like, well, you know, I did two months at a little French bakery that just opened. And that was a great experience in itself too, but restaurant life is totally different than a bakery. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. But to answer your original question, um, I think I was just ready to see something different 
because I was so young and green, that was all that I saw. And um, actually a friend back in Providence had sent me an email with just a Craigslist link and nothing else, no subject title, no contact. She just sent me the link and it said that Gracie's was looking for an assistant pastry chef. She's like, why don't you just check it out? Send in your resume. At that point, all my friends back in Providence really wanted me to move back anyways. But I was like, you know, I don't really know. Yeah, Boston's hard. I'm lonely, but I really like my job and da 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 da. She's like, just, just check it out. Here you go. And so I checked it out and then I decided to stage. And what Melissa Denmark offered that day MD. at <laughs> Melissa Denmark, the oh, wonderful, goddess, oh. the beautiful side hair part. Oh the, my gosh, the undeniable. <laughs> that's Melissa Denmark. She basically was very honest about, well, you know, what we're offering is a program with a lot of passionate team members. And you're going to get a lot of creative input and you have responsibility and expectations. And this is what they are. They went through everything with me. She's like, why don't you think about it? You can come in and see how it is during the day. And then we can go from there. So I decided why not? Right. That in itself should be a good experience to put in my life um, to include. Yeah, just try it out. And then I went and it was crazy different from Lesfolier. Crazy different. Oh man, it, that just like triggered a lot of memories. <laughs> oh man, because uh, for all those listeners out there, um, we met at Gracie's. Um, Michelle Chen was the first person I saw um, when I came down those steps. Um, <laughs> down because the the restaurant's on two levels because it's a New England restaurant, um, and I went down the steps. And then I see your face. Well, as I'm like putting away my stuff in the like, because remember, it's like the walk-in, then there's pastry land, and then there's like the linen, like the the miscellaneous closet, which was also our locker room. (laughs) (laughs) But I threw my stuff down and I'm about to come up the stairs and you're like, um, you're like, hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm like, hi, I'm Candice. It's nice to meet you. And you're like, are you a stage? And I was like, no, I'm actually like, um... Was I a stage or an intern? Oh my god! Oh, it's all—it's all fogging. All yes, I was—I was staging. I was—I was there for a three-day stage. That's what happened. Um, because I had won a competition at Johnson and Wales, a cooking competition, and Maddie Varga. Shout out to Maddie Varga, um, <laughs> uh, Chef Matt. Um, he's awesome. Um, he chose me, and then I, quote unquote, won a three-day stage at Gracie's um, <laughs> <laughs> I say quote unquote one because um in, in in hindsight it's like you didn't really have to win that thing but at the same time it's like that's what happened <laughs> um that's so mm. I know um they knew how to advertise anyway long story longer um I was there for three days um, and it was glorious. And I see Michelle and she's first person and she introduces herself. She looks so beautiful and wonderful, but also has a little bit of fear in her eyes (laughs) because that's what, that's what it is at Gracie's. (laughs) And um, you introduced yourself and I was like, it's very nice to meet you. You were the first person to look me in my eyes and say hello. And then I went back up those stairs and then got ignored by, six other boys except for one because he had to like 
um, <laughs> teach yeah. me how to do. Yeah, he had to show me around. <laughs> and that was Dylan, <laughs> Dylan Duffy. <laughs> he did not ignore me. <laughs> oh, shout out to Dylan Duffy. <laughs> this tall. Oh my God. Oh man. Had legs for days. So tall. Oh my God, so tall. I think he's like six three or four, maybe. But because he's all he's like super skinny, so it just makes him look even taller. And I'm tall too, but damn. <laughs> oh my gosh. But anyway, we met at Gracie's. It was wonderful. And I'll never forget it. <laughs> because now here we are, six plus years later, uh, chatting. <laughs> chatting. Just chatting, just sitting around chatting. Um so tell me about Gracie's and that whole thing. Because you were an assistant pastry chef. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually you turned into the, um, like, you were running things at one point, if I'm Stop not mistaken. Cuisine, yeah. Yeah. So they made the position eventually. They made the position for you? I'm sorry. What, what was that? I, I, I didn't hear what you just said. <laughs> Miss, Miss Allen and Melissa Denmark created a new position. Huh? And what else? <laughs> I got promoted. And there it is. <laughs> uh, girl, this is a fluff piece. Come on now. Don't be don't be afraid to brag. Um, they made a whole ass position for you. That's really that's really great. Like, what was it like having total and complete creative control? Um, and you were what, like 24 or some shit? 23 yeah 23 going on 24 and you were running a pastry program out of one of the best like restaurants on the eastern on the eastern seaboard (laughs) (laughs) it was a 180 from my lasfalier experience in summary if i had to describe it that way because the first job is what taught me like okay rhythm discipline right feeling comfortable in being a part of a team and learning that structure. And then Gracie's was just, it opened up the rest of it. So really when you had asked earlier about like, you know, what was your most memorable experience with food? Like I tell, I tell Chef Matt all the time and I don't know if he gets shy or if he's just like, you're full of crap, right? But I, I really feel like I fell in love with food at Gracie's. Yeah. I've always loved eating and food, but just to watch the way people worked and all the effort and time and dedication, all the details into how to not just plate, but to prepare the food. It was, you know, you know, you cook. It's truly a special place. I don't know what it is about. Like, I mean, you just described it and like you just said it and, um, but it's also like, there's this, this beautiful sense of the unknown of how like, glorious that place can be sometimes like it's just like there were moments where you just felt like you were like this might be (laughs) this might be a little like you know dramatic or whatever but like you were in the you were in the presence of greatness you know what I mean whether or not that was like the food or the people or everything in between or just the way that the restaurant was being run like there were these beautiful moments of like of clarity and like this like crystallizing you know what I mean like you were just like man oh my God, does this, this sound is- like what have you seen like no really though like there were moments where like everything just went silent and you would like I would and I, I remember when I was interning 
-hmm. like and I was just looking around and seeing all these people it was like a, a beautiful like orchestra like they were just they were just going like you saw the fire over here and then you see them cutting over there and then you see like chef matt like moving his tickets and then i see you on the side like 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 it it was incredible and it was just one of those things where like i would agree with you where gracie's was like the first time i really really felt like i could be in the presence of greatness and like and that involving food like the, yeah. mo the the best meal of my life was a seven course meal that I got from the end of that three day stage that I got from you guys. I'm not kidding. Like it was just like, and, and I've, I mean, maybe I've had better food since then, but because it was the first time I had ever felt anything on that high of a level, like you could taste the, the effort in the food. Like you could feel the work and the passion and the beauty and all of the way that it was presented, like even from the way that it tasted, you know what I mean? And I didn't even have like wine pairings that night. <laughs> like it was just food, <laughs> you know what I mean? And your dessert included, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was wonderful. And um, go on and on about this, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I get, oh, this, oh my gosh, so much love for that place because- I tell people all the time, you can taste it when someone cooks with love. And you can taste it when they don't put any love in it. They think, oh, that's like kind of BS. I'm like, no, it's no. not. No, it's not. The proof is if in the you pudding. you taste something great, you'll know. You'll know. But yeah, and that's just like the food part of it all, right? But when you were like, oh, what's it like to work and to do a program where you have so much creative freedom? Like, I really have to... I will never stop talking about how amazing I think Melissa and Chef Matt are because I see it kind of as a mini institution, right? Like it's easy to see bigger companies and restaurant groups as like a place where you can consider them as an institution, but they really invested in each individual and gave the freedom to share your ideas. Not everything goes on the menu and, you know, people don't see that, but behind the scenes, just even like, having a meeting after every single service, um, trying to learn how to compose and create a dish. Like I, I didn't have any idea of how to do that. And Melissa always taught me like what you should consider, not saying you have to do this, but these are guidelines that would be helpful. And I really think that reflects her style and her character and her work ethic as a chef. Uh, whenever I see her put things out, that was really what I noticed from my stage that night because I saw her desserts and the flavor combinations that she had. She also considered having a variation in textures and temperature, just like everything was there. You could tell she thought about it. And I was like, oh yeah, well, uh, I don't have those skills yet, but she's just like, well, you know, let's think of something for the next week. And then before we knew it, every single week, it's like, think about this, think about this. It was a constant push. It was a challenge and it was, simultaneously one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do job-wise but I'm so thankful yeah awesome. I don't want someone to hold my hand I want someone to push me and to mentor me yeah and, and yeah I, I would agree with that sometimes I, well I don't need them to hold my hand but I, I do need them to be like that way <laughs> like point, it, point me in the direction you ain't gotta drag me there but just like give me a little little nudge nudge And then what did you do after Gracie's? 
after Gracie's, I had maybe a three month period where I just rested. I just took some time to reevaluate like what is it that I'm looking for next? Um, yeah, basically I took a break. And then once I got to the point where I felt like I was ready to start exploring and get a little bit more hands on, I started stodging around and interviewing and meeting different people, helping old friends out, you know, went back to Los Valle, helped them with like a brunch event, um, met up with my old chef in Boston. He was at another place by that time. And um, it was interesting because I actually had two job offers in Boston after Gracie's, but it just wasn't the right timing. Like I knew I shouldn't have taken either of those opportunities. And I was really grateful that um, they even came to me, but I knew that wasn't it. And I wanted to maybe explore different options in the food industry, kind of entertain that for a little bit because originally towards the last leg of my um, year at Johnson and Wales, I was considering that originally, but I had gotten advice from one of the faculty members that you should be a chef first. I think you should really spend like five to 10 years in the industry, in restaurants, and then try to like go from there if you wanted to do food writing, or if you wanted to do like food styling, like food media, whatever it was that I was trying to brainstorm about. So I was like, okay, and I took that advice. And then I fell in love with the restaurant industry. And then anyway, so I got to that point and I had randomly stumbled across Rory McDonald on the internet. And I the just story is incredible, y'all. <laughs> Strap in. This story is incredible. <laughs> Go ahead. You know, God has just, God has placed amazing people in my life. Like, oh. Anyway, so I stumbled across Rory and his profile um, on the internet. And I just really loved the way that he was marketing himself and also just the upcoming project. I didn't really know what it was about, but I knew he was working on something in New York. And so me being me, I'm like, what do I have to lose at this point in reaching out? Nowadays, this is like the new normal, right? You just reach out to a stranger on the internet and you guys make a connection and you collaborate. But back then it was just like, ah, who are you? So I emailed him and I asked him about like, oh, I was just wondering like, how do you, how do you approach your marketing and this and that and your, all the public media stuff, but he didn't answer any of those questions. He just saw my resume because I attached it. He was like, hey, look, um, I'm actually opening up a new shop in New York City. Would you like to come for an interview? I was like, huh? I mean, I asked you A and you went to like Z, but um, let me think about it. Okay, right? I was starting to think about New York secretly on the side because I started wondering if I should maybe go stage in all the restaurants that I've always wanted to, or at least make an effort to, to see if this is still something I wanted to pursue. I was at that transitional period of wondering whether I just needed something different. And so I was like, well, why not? Let's go check that out. I made a couple trips back to New York, staged around and met with Rory. He was one of them, staged with him three times. And turns out he was opening up a patisserie as well as a dessert bar and yeah and then and then what happened <laughs> and what happened was he really sold me on the dessert bar because it was always a dream of mine to work and open up a dessert bar 
and this guy was already doing it. So I'm like, well, look at this. <laughs> yeah. And then he, um, what was your job title there? I was the head pastry chef of the dessert bar. And then I got promoted to head pastry chef of all of Chenson, including the patisserie. So when I first came on the job, there was already a set of uh, core leaders, I would say. And we had different people managing the bakery, the patisserie, you know, you had him, the head honcho executive over everything. There was a savory program, but it's not, there wasn't like a savory chef de cuisine or anything like that. Man, Chanson was, Chanson was a wild ride. Like everything leading up to it was so intentional and prepared me I think so well for it because if I didn't have any of those prior experiences, I don't think I could have handled yeah. job at all. What was it like opening up a new restaurant from zero to, you know, like zero to a hundred? Chaos. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. I met Rory in January. I spoke to him in December, met him in January. It was projected to open in February right? And so when I was staging, there was only really the upstairs bakery that was kind of fully finished, as finished as possible, producing bread all the time. Um, but there was no walk-in. The, the sanitation station downstairs where the porters would work, it was non-existent. I slowly saw, started seeing it come together as a stage. That's how crazy it was. And then once we started working, you know, you saw tables from the floor go up and get assembled you saw sinks you saw ovens getting placed in i remember stephanie and emily and myself like organizing the walk-in at the end of the day this was before the shop actually opened right like we're just trying to test things out and get everything together putting up the racks inside of the walk-in like i hear screams because i was outside organizing the produce and working ah. We, we, we divided and conquered, okay? And you hear this screeching, because they're trying to set everything up in the freezer, in the walk-in, and like, oh my God. now it's space people just walking freely in and out. I'm like, you don't even know. You don't understand. <laughs> you don't even know how those bars got there, friend, okay? Stephanie Oliveira put that together. <laughs> Mind you. Um, and how long were you at uh, Chanson? two and a half years two and a half years maybe yeah. a little bit longer but yeah I didn't hit the three-year mark but mm -hmm. in that timing it took seven months from opening the patisserie to actually open up the dessert bar so mm -hmm. in that interim period I was helping out with the patisserie and the prep work and also just like mm -hmm. the were you in charge of were you in charge of hiring your staff or was that Rory eventually yeah yeah just Girl, this, when I say this job was intense, it was the most intense. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, um, yeah, I remember you calling me and telling me, like, Candace, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, like, um, dropped in the DM of a very famous pastry chef, and now I'm opening up a dessert bar in the middle of New York City. How are you? <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, tell me about, like your life, I should say. <laughs> Probably the biggest question you've ever asked. <laughs> um, after Chanson, I spent, 
kind of similarly to when I left Gracie's, I spent a little bit of time trying to just take a step back. And I wanted to think about where I was and where I wanted to go because I realized that I didn't really have a personal vision. Mm. And I really wanted to carve out some time to reevaluate what work means to me, mm. what my identity means to me, like how everything just ties together. Um, so I was helping out my brother who actually opened up his own dental practice at the time. So that was a blessing because I had time to work a little bit, but then still focus on myself and meet up with people, take a breather. Because of my whole time there, I took like many vacations or staycations. It was never like I had a break period to really think about all this stuff, right? Um, and so after that happened, I had an offer to potentially sign on to another project. And it was a North American expansion of a South African company. And so what the CEO had told me was, you know, what you can do is you can come over to our motherland and you can spend some time with us and see if it's something you would like to pursue back in America. Or you don't have to do that, but it's on the table. So in November, I got on the plane and I flew to Cape Town. And then I had a whole nother wild experience until I had to come back and then COVID and here we are. <laughs> oh man. Um, how, I mean, I know how beautiful Cape Town was, but if you could explain how beautiful Cape Town is for our listeners. <laughs> It, oh gosh, I've always heard that it was one of the most beautiful places in the world. And it truly is one of the most beautiful places in the world. I went there when it was summer over there, but it never got too humid because it's basically Mediterranean climate. So it's similar to Australia with like being by the equator and everything. Lots of water. It's on the Western Cape where I was located. Um, yeah, it blew me away. I don't know. That's the biggest summary I can give you. <laughs> Is there any advice that you were given that has helped you in the past? Or... Is there any advice that you were, wish was given to you that, you know, could help somebody or yourself in the future? <laughs> oh, so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, can I answer all of that? Yeah, all of that, please. About it. Um, I think one of the best pieces of advice that I have received from other chefs is to aim high, right? It doesn't matter if you don't feel confident you don't feel quote unquote good enough or you can't imagine those possibilities for yourself, just do it anyways, just aim high. Because what do you have to lose? And you can potentially end up in a much better place and even higher than you thought was possible for you, which is really my story every step of the way. Yeah. Like that naive mindset of, oh, I'm just applying to this job because I need a job. And I'm sure be, they are amazing people. And then I get the job and I realize, 
oh, this is the gravity of it all. <laughs> and I'm feeling it now. Um, if I were to speak to myself in the past when I first started, and to all the future interns and aspiring cooks and everybody in the industry, is to be flexible. Mm. And it's okay for your dreams to change. Mm. Excellent. Yeah, I spent a lot of energy uh, when I first started out, not comparing myself to other people and being competitive with them, but I think I was subconsciously comparing myself to all my mentors, like comparing with them. And, you know, these are people with years and years of experience and they have their own lives. I have my own life. And how can you compare yourself to another person and their journey when you are uniquely yourself, right? So why would your goals be exactly the same as their goals? Why would your personality be exactly the same as their personality? It isn't. It just isn't, you know? So I will tell younger Michelle that and say it's going to be okay, you know? You taught me that, actually, Michelle. You taught me very early on, and I'm incredibly grateful um, for it, Not, well, to your entire existence, because I love you so much. But, um, <laughs> but you taught me early on that... Um, your journey is different than everybody else's and it doesn't necessarily have to be measured the exact same way. Like everybody has their own journey. Everybody has their own story. And um, like you said, like a lot of, um, I feel like a lot of people have internalized and like used other people as a measure to be like, um, why am I not better or um, as good as them and I'm the same age or, you know, like all the things like com constantly, yeah, constantly comparing yourself to somebody else um, instead of actually realizing like it ain't about them, it's about you. You know what I mean? Like your first thought should be, how do I want to develop? How do I want to be? And like to an extent, like you can use somebody as a measuring tool. You know what I mean? You can be like, you know what? I would love to maybe like um, be that age in that position, you know? Mm -hmm like them but don't necessarily do it as a means to an end do it more more so as a, a motivation and not necessarily necessarily like a detriment to yourself you know what I mean and like I said like you taught me that early on basically do you <laughs> I'm paraphrasing but um yeah you taught me that early on and I'm I'm very I'm I'm eternally grateful to you for that because I love you so much um <laughs> um you're the best. Um, no, I'm not. You really are. Oh, God. See, that's why you're on here. The humility. I'm telling no, you. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, though, that's the irony, right? Like, it's so much easier to tell other people that same piece of advice. And that's why I said I would tell younger Michelle that specifically, you know, and I look back on it and I'm just really grateful for what this process is called aging and hopefully maturing and gaining wisdom because it has taken this long for me to even just uh, to reflect on what I think my core values are. I would say that's the next most important thing. Yeah. Learn what your values are, the ones you absolutely cannot compromise, and that will help shape your other decisions. It all yeah. falls under that umbrella. And, yeah. and that may not be the same as someone else's. So. <sighs> <laughs> you're the best um what is um or who was your biggest inspiration 
Um, it could be career-wise or not, but um, I'm curious as to mm-hmm. who has made like a huge impact on your life. So many people in different ways, but I have two, if I had to share specifically. One person I don't know very well personally, but I've met him once. And his name is Timothy Keller. Have you heard of him? Mm -mm. So basically he, so many things. (laughs) Well, he was the founding pastor of the church that I go to right now in New York City, of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And he is also a New York Times bestselling author. Um, And the reason why he's an inspiration to me is because a lot of the work and ministry that he's done over the years has spoken into my own spiritual life and my own walk with God. Um, But I really appreciate his passion and his outlook on having a vision for mercy and justice in New York City or just in cities around the world. Just he's mentioned it many times in his books before and in person that like, you know, people may have felt the burden of such a big vision and goal. And it felt like at times we couldn't really uh, do it, you know, because it was just a lot of work. But now his work is just all over the world. Um, He's really a big advocate for mentorship, which I am as well. Um, I actually found a church community in Cape Town, South Africa, because he also helped uh, found city to city through our church. And so that connects like everybody globally. Um, It's also the Gotham Fellowship that I told you about, which I'll be doing this coming year in which we learn how to integrate work and faith. Um, Yeah, founded, helped found Hope for New York, which is affiliated with like, I think over 60 different nonprofits and organizations to help the marginalized and unreached people in the city. Um, He's amazing. Very good at engaging with the culture and our modern day culture and understanding how it ties with history. And I, the first time I met him, the only time I've met him, I remember everyone was talking to him about like, oh, you know what's going on in my life? And like, can you please pray for this? And I'm planting this church. And then it gets to me and I'm like, hi. (laughs) (laughs) He just goes, "Uh, hello. I'm like, how are you doing? He's like, you know, I'm doing well. We start talking for a little bit. And um, I ask him like, you know what? Like, I know you're a really busy guy. I won't really keep you long here, but if there's anything that I can pray for, like, how can I pray for you? He just tells me, you know what? You can pray for my wife, Kathy. Um, because she is very ill and she has battled with Crohn's disease for many years. She's a, it's the reason why she's not here tonight and the reason why she can't uh, join me in many of the events that I show up in throughout the years. And um, I would just love for you to lift her up in prayer every single day. Like he made me promise, you pray for my wife every single day. You don't even know her, but you're going to do it. <laughs> so that the day you meet her in person, you tell her there is someone out there who has been thinking about you every single day, who's been bringing you and your life to the Lord um, and that you are cared for. And I just looked at him and I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, <laughs> that moved me. <laughs> can, I, can I give you a hug? 
He's like, yeah. And I hugged Tim Keller. I was like, oh my gosh, everybody, I hugged Tim Keller, right? <laughs> but really, it's just meeting someone with so much humility. It's not even about like what he does. I mean, it is, but it's not. That's how I found out about him. But just like he is genuinely someone who loves the people around him so much and has a heart for all of that. So, yeah. You said there was two. Yeah. The next one I know very well. She's uh, one of my best friends. Her name is Sandra. <laughs> you know, when you meet people who are just so unaware of their own strengths and... I don't um, know. <laughs> I don't know. Quiet, Do quiet, I'm talking. Quiet, I'm talking. <laughs> their gifts and just the effect that they have on people. Yeah, she's one of those. Um, yeah, I'm staring at one of them. <laughs> I'm telling you. But keep going. Um, I would say she's an inspiration to me personally because she really represents perseverance mm -hmm. and what it means to be a person who can not only understand the concept of forgiveness and grace, but who is able to live it out. Sincerely, I do not think I am that type of a person. Like I struggle with that so much, so much. And even with all like part of my language with all the bullshit that I have, she bears with me and she calls me out on it too, you know? Like a good friend will celebrate with you, will grieve with you, but will not be afraid to tell you like how it is. Yeah, tell you the truth. You know, the hard truths. And that's the most loving thing that you can do for a person when they need. Yeah, amen. So she is that person for me. And for a lot of other people, she doesn't understand it. So, yeah. Yeah, I know what it's like to have people in your life that are unaware of how amazing that they are. <laughs> no matter how much you tell them that you love them and how amazing they, you think they are. <laughs> Um, Let's start a podcast about that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what are those? Um, I can relate, but that's really, th those are really kind words. Um, that was nice. That was nice to hear. Um, this is a lighter note that I always end up asking people. And it is donut, bagel, or Danish? Donut, for sure. <laughs> all day all the time even when I cannot have any more donuts I will still choose donuts in spirit why donuts because it's the only thing out of the three that I crave ever and that I genuinely love eating bagels I never crave and I'm a New Yorker so that's a bit like blasphemous, I guess. But I, I was gonna say, I was like, I think it's in the in the bylaws. <laughs> I don't care. Okay, so let me break it down for you. Like New York culture, delis are a huge thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so people might think, oh, you go and you get your bagel, cream cheese, or you get your uh, pastrami, right? I love a pastrami with everything bagel. I really do, Ooh. but I don't crave it. It's just when I want that sandwich, I'll have it on the menu. Blah blah blah. But New York culture, if I stop by a deli, I get a bacon, egg, and cheese on a roll, boom, and go. In that, you know, if you ever see those ever again, the blue, the blue coffee cups. Yes, yes, with the, the, the Greek writing on them, or, yeah, um, or the symbols are on it. Yeah, I know, it, it, it's in every, like, movie or cop show on television. <laughs> I always thought it was the, because I'm such an idiot, I always, well, growing up, um, I always thought that it was the same coffee. 
everybody was drinking in New York City <laughs> because I'm a dummy. And yeah. then I realized Cannes is just the universal. It's like the it's like the red solo cup. It's but for New York and yeah. it's insulated like it's the cup. It's not the coffee. But they always said that anytime they got one of those bad boys, they were terrible. You know what I mean? Like everybody's like, oh, this coffee's terrible. Blah. So I always thought like New York coffee was trash. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all drinking the same coffee. Uh, yeah. I mean, the designer behind that cup was paying an ode to just the history of uh, immigrants. That's what I've heard. Businesses here. So that, that's what I've heard. It's not dying it, out, but trying to revive it. Yeah. And it's always in like um, hot dog carts and like, you know, like shawarma, you know, stops and. Diners. Yes, diners, um, all the to-go's, the convenience stores, bodegas, all that shit. Yep. When I think of New York City, all I think of um, bodegas. <laughs> Bodega! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we're pretty much there. Um, I, are you okay for one more question, maybe? Yeah. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about representation. Um, mm -hmm. just because, um, I remember earlier I asked if you were in charge of like hiring and everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to know like what that entire process was about. I, I guess what I want to kind of ask is like, did you have like some sort of like obligation <laughs> to yourself and being like, um, I'm a minority, like being an Asian American woman, um, and being like, you know what, like, this guy and this girl have the same credentials, but I'm going to hire the woman. <laughs> oh, um, it never had to be that way. Mm -hmm. Like, I never had to even question that, which mm -hmm. I'm very thankful for. Mm -hmm. It was just looking at each person as an applicant. Mm -hmm. um, and it was diverse enough, which is why I say I would love to hear other people's experiences. Mm -hmm. It was never like, there's just a pool of so-and-so people and then all of a sudden this unicorn comes in who i've never met and seen in my life should i give this person a shot over another person it was never like that <laughs> you, um, when i when i met you that was my first job professionally you know what i mean because i had the three-day stage and then i ended up interning with gracie's for three and a half months because uh, we always have to um do an apprenticeship for Johnson and Wales to finish your bachelor's degree. Um, and my point is like, you were also the first uh, minority that I'd ever worked with. And then you also had to be, you were also a woman. And then I didn't see that again until my current job. Mm, yeah. So, so I'd been like, I'm working professionally in all these like high caliber restaurants. And then, I didn't see another person that didn't look like a cis white man until, oh, I guess the, yo, okay. I know you're hosting, but I'm going to say, let's go back to another question <laughs> <laughs> because we're friends and you love me and you let me do it. Um, let's go back to the people that inspire me. Okay. Like I talked about like my life. If we're going to talk about career wise, you're number three, if that's the case. Because you just brought it up, it triggered, like, I talk about it all the time, but, you know, we're just talking. I talk to you almost every week, and it slips the mind, but really, Candace, you were the first person to make me think about what I was doing 
my job, my work, my position in the field as something more than just I'm making bread and ice cream, which is great, you know, for people to spread joy. Um, it's about the fact that like, even if I'm not necessarily doing anything specific, just my presence there is a physical reminder that there's some sort of representation there. And that hit me like freaking like, whoa, to the heart when you said that. And it scared the crap out of me because I'm like, I mean, I'm just, I'm just working. And when you said like, no, no, like you're a woman of color, you're a woman of color mm -hmm. here. And that inspires me. And I, I just, it's never left my brain since then. Well, thank you, Michelle. No. <laughs> well, thank and you for representing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It really, yeah, it does something for you because we're going to talk about like hiring and just what it's like to be in management or just be a part of a team at all. Coming back to New York and working at Chanson, it was the first place where I was able to speak another language flu semi-fluently or if I wanted to switch it up between kitchen Spanish and English. Like I had coworkers who spoke like my mother tongue or something close to it. Mm. And it was just very awkward at first it took a long time for me to feel comfortable like just engaging with cultural norms mm -hmm. and obviously speaking the language we even had a chef come in from china who said he only spoke chinese like he only spoke mandarin and cantonese so he wow. said um that's another story for another time <laughs> but yeah and like rory would need us to translate you know instructions and teach and show them around yeah, so that was a totally different experience for me. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> um, no, and I, like I said, I do appreciate the kind words um, because it's, I don't know, it's like you said you didn't realize, um, which I think is like very interesting to understand people's perspectives, especially on cultural awareness and representation and also the fact that like because like I don't know if it's just because I'm black I'm pretty sure it's because I'm black <laughs> like anytime I walk into a room I'm incredibly aware of who else is in that room you know what I mean and then like um and like that stems from just you know like the uncomfortability and also the comfortability like it's a it's a very strange dichotomy going on but um I'm always aware of like who else is in that room and I don't know if that's just like societal pressures or just the way I was raised or my anxiety, <laughs> but I'm always like counting the heads and seeing and wondering what's going on. Um, okay. If, if it's about that, Candace, let me rephrase. I was, <laughs> I'm very aware. I, I was unaware of my, um, how do I say it? My impact. Uh, yes. There you go. Mm -hmm. When you mentioned that, I didn't realize like I personally was someone contributing to that but I'm but that, always very yeah but that that, that yeah, I get what you mean it's like it's but that stems to what I was I was getting to in the sense of like you didn't even realize that you just standing there is an impact you yeah know what I mean? on that level I was unaware but like even in school like all my classmates were white um the question I've gotten the most moving to New England is you know where are you from which is fine right where are you from but then the follow-up question is, where are you really from, though? Oh, my God. Um, New York, <laughs> sir. If you're trying to ask where my parents are from, like, ethnically, 
my background, I can share that too. It's just interesting to me. Yeah. Like that's just something I learned to, uh, yeah. yeah, to go about in my life. Um, amongst other things, but I think the podcast would be way too long if we really dug into all the experiences I've had. I've had, you know, a lot of uh, racist experiences too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but- we can talk about one of them. <laughs> That's why we. You know what? Let's talk about it. Let's talk. Yeah, about girl. It. Let's do it. Talk about an ignorant like high schooler that I had to work with when I was a part timer. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Pinkberry, <laughs> when I was trying to earn money as a college student. Um, making comments that basically what it summed up to be was she thought I was not in the room, which was just plain like ignorance at that point and being unaware of her surroundings. Um, she was talking about me to our other coworkers, and it summed up to the point of, well, she had no right to correct me because she's Asian. I sh- and she turned around and I looked her dead in the eye. And she was so embarrassed. And you know what? At that point, at that point in my life, that Michelle didn't say anything. Mm. Now, Michelle, now I wish I would have said something, but not, not that I didn't say anything out of like uh, being afraid. Like I wasn't afraid of her, but it just felt like that is just pure ignorance. Mm. There were so many layers to it. There was layers of shame because you did something wrong. You didn't like being corrected. And I corrected you with the most, respect that I could possibly do mm-hmm. and you felt the need to lash out about it and to you know talk badly about someone else behind their back because you felt I think it's insecurity mm-hmm. but just the lack of yeah damn bitches you brought it to race for some reason <laughs> like okay like that that's the answer for everything that's just one experience <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah you that's- know that's unfortunate people yeah do you think that like um and I've talked about this before but like did you um later on in your career especially when you were in a manager um managerial position Mm -hmm. um did you feel like you had to compensate um being a woman and um and being a minority like um especially like when you were delegating and like giving orders and everything did you have any sort of like negative or insecurities or yes any anything (laughs) anything apart like um I, i would jesus christ i would love to um expand on like what it's like being you but also being a manager you know what i mean yeah so again the toughest job I've ever had. You know, really, when I say shout out to Rory, I mean, shout out to Rory McDonald as a mentor, as a friend, as a brother figure, as a person who respects women, which should be a standard already, right? What, like, a, what a concept, man. Yeah, yeah, to respect people. Um, but I think I was very blessed to be surrounded by a team of mature and loving and compassionate individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, however, that doesn't mean that everybody you encounter has that same mindset, right? So for the most part, I never had an issue with anyone, like, giving me crap for trying to delegate. Everyone was really respectful. Most of it came from me internally, um, where I was scared of having to tell people who are much older than me, um, much physically bigger in stature than me, much more experienced than me, 
mm -hmm. um, how to do their job or how just, yeah, basically just delegating, being responsible for uh, scheduling and being on top of everything. I was very concerned with transitioning into my promotion, especially because I went from like a very small department into something much bigger, like an operation. So it wasn't just back of the house. It was having to deal with um, situations with front of the house, mediating if there was ever like a disconnect and having to, yeah, just all levels like that. But like I said, I was very blessed because everyone was very respectful of me and my transition. But there, there was one person who got hired and didn't last very long because he refused to acknowledge me as uh, his boss. And we had a mediated sit down with technically someone who is um, in a lower managerial position than I am. Like we're a team, obviously, right? But technically, he went to someone who was not even my superior because he refused to look at me and talk to me because he had, yeah, he just didn't like the fact that I was trying to manage him. I manage people. And it was just interesting because I was shocked that at this day and age, there would still be something so blatantly said to me in my face. I shouldn't be surprised, but you know, I am surprised. I'm still surprised. <laughs> so this, this man basically said like, you know, as a woman, you shouldn't be saying that or like, oh, you're not my boss. You can't tell me what to do. Um, I don't think I can have you. Yeah, it just goes on. It was such an uncomfortable meeting and it was eye-opening at that point because he was talking to somebody who had respect for me, who did acknowledge me as his boss as well. And people coming in through the door as we were having this conversation, just in and out, like the hallway and stuff. Like people, like I said, older, much older, who have respect for me mutually. And it just brought out all these insecurities, even though I knew I didn't do anything wrong. Mm. It just made me feel like crap for the rest of the day. Yeah. And so eventually we're like, so what do we do? I'm like, so you don't think it's going to work out here basically. He was like, well, yeah, I mean, that's how I feel. And then started going off on this whole story. I'm like, all right, let's just, let's just agree that, um, you don't work here anymore. <laughs> you yeah. And that was my first time having to also have that conversation with a person. I never had to do that before. When I told the story to uh, Rory and Manuel, the beverage manager at the time, they immediately were like, where's he? <laughs> like, would you like us to sit down with him? I'm like, no, you know what? I think I want to handle this face to face because it has to deal with me. Yeah. It's also you don't need him to save you. <laughs> yeah, I knew it came from a good place because unfortunately I have had conversations with Rory about this and he's had this with me. It's not in a demeaning way, but he's like, you know, like preparing us for leadership roles and just saying like, you know, like I hate to even have to bring this up as a topic, but I'm a six foot tall white man. You are a five one little woman and you're going to be bossing people around. <laughs> he didn't say boss, but you know what I mean? Like you're, you're going to have to manage them. So it's a hard reality. You, yeah. So we talked about that stuff before, during, after, like, it's just, yeah, my reality. And like you said, like, I do appreciate the fact that he, um, I, I appreciate both, um, both subjects in the sense of like you standing up for yourself, um, and also like approaching, like, cause Rory was like ready to be like, oh, okay, let's do this. But it's like, 
on one hand, it's like, you don't need savior. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you don't need the man to like come in and like swoop in and like make, um, justify everything you've already said. Yeah. Because- I don't think he was trying to do that. Oh, I know. I know. That's what I was going to say. Like I, his intentions were like beautiful, especially as like a leader and like the guy that's, his name is on the lease. Hell yeah. Like you want him to have your back. And he did. And I'm so grateful for that. We don't stand for those- e- exactly. He's like, yo, like, let, like, do you want me to have a conversation? Let, do you want me to like reassure? Like, cause I am, I am backing you a hundred percent, but I also appreciate the fact that you were like, nah, like this is something I need to handle. Like, this is something I need to see through because this is like, this is technically like my problem. I should say, you know what I mean? It, it, it is, it is his problem too. Cause you know what I mean? Like that's a person on his staff, but as it relates to this like subject, it was about you, you know what I mean? And, and that relationship and that like, um, that conflict you know what I mean and I like I'm proud of you for resolving it um on your own and I'm proud of Rory for sticking up for you you know what I mean like that's how it's supposed to be like you know so um I think that's great um I think that's interesting to to realize that like they don't say that um (laughs) in school (laughs) Uh, they don't they don't teach you these these things you know what I mean like um, they can prepare you as much as you want to, but it's un- until like you're in these positions, it's it's crazy. Exactly. When you're taking those management courses, they're not saying like, "Hey, you're gonna come across some, you know, racist, blatant, ignorant, you know, dude, and uh, you're gonna have to handle it." <laughs> uh, something as small as just like you know, conflict and pride and all the human things, right? And then on top of that, then you have all those layers. So yeah, it was. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Just some of the things. Do you think that you've gotten stronger since then? Like, you know what I mean? Like, internally? Like, did you learn a lot from that experience, I should say? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I learned a lot about myself as well. You know, um, as much as you want to control situations, like, you want to be controlling of your situations, life doesn't always go that way. Mm-hmm. and you can control your response and I think that takes a lot of practice a very intentional practice because I'm actually very hot-tempered and no one believes me oh I believed you <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that's also another thing like <laughs> but from from managing I've learned that like one your emotions can get the better of you right and two no matter how well you think you've handled a conflict the other person may not want to cooperate in the way that you imagined it to be. And you have to be prepared for that too. I've also had someone who tried to write me up and get me fired, like all this stuff, all this stuff. And it says a lot about, you know, what they struggle with and what I struggle with. Um, At the end of the day, like that's my job. You know, I'm here to take care of it on behalf of the team so they don't have to deal with it. They just got to worry about production. You know, they don't need to be dealing with this. Um, So I I learned a lot about how leadership can feel very lonely. Very, very lonely. Um, And it's really hard if you just continue to carry the burdens by yourself. It's good to talk to people. It's good to have community and support and boundaries. I think that's the largest one that I've learned that really ties in with this whole thing. Like, I think it's made me stronger in that it's okay to have boundaries between you and your employees. You want to have friendship because you're lonely, you're a human being, and you want to be able to connect with someone about your struggles. But 
at the end of the day, you learn discernment about what's the most helpful actually, yeah. you know? And sometimes it means like you have to sacrifice and you have to bite your tongue and say, sorry, that was my fault, even if someone else messed up or, yeah. Mm -hmm. Taking accountability and responsibility. You know. it's hard, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> that's why the grown-ups are really good at it um I feel so bad for everyone I just want to say apologies to the chanson crew for bearing with me <laughs> learning uh they could have done much much worse my friend I promise <laughs> um yeah we're pretty much there actually um, um if there's any I always leave the floor um if there's anything like last words that you wanted to say about you or the the hospitality industry or the weight of the world or anything i i yeah <laughs> the floor is yours if not it's it's totally fine um oh my gosh i wonder if people listening are just gonna be like can you just shut up michelle like girl bye they gonna pl press play and be amazed <laughs> uh, i want to say a couple of things i want to say that if you are struggling in any way please don't please don't be afraid to ask for help mm. it's gonna be hard but it's going to be one of the best things that you can do for yourself and you don't even know for other people just by asking for help mm -hmm. um i wish i had taken mental health a little bit more seriously um it was a pattern that just kind of kept creeping up it kept creeping up in my life and I didn't take care of it like I didn't I just didn't address it so eventually you're confronted with it in much uglier ways so I would like to encourage anyone out there listening to just to be kind to yourself and to know that self-care is not selfish that is actually crucial to your overall well-being um, and then the second thing because it's about our industry is that um i think success is relative yes just like intelligence which is also relative you can be skilled you can have gifts that other people don't have you can share the same ones it doesn't matter but yeah everyone has a different definition of it so just remember that i'm trying to learn that myself wise words my friend do y'all understand why i call her my yoda <laughs> She is the wise. She is the wisest twenty-nine year old of I'll ever meet in my whole whole ass life. Um, <laughs> I am a hot mess, so you know. Rabbi, uh, uh, you are great and wonderful <laughs> and amazing. Um, thank you so much for this. Um, I truly, truly, truly appreciate you taking the time and talking about yourself because I know you say it's not easy. <laughs> and, really not. <laughs> but um, I hope that um. This is as rewarding, I doubt it, but I hope this is as rewarding to you as it is to me <laughs> because now I'll have this conversation forever. <laughs> and um, um, even though I call your ass once a week and shit, um, <laughs> it'll be nice to hear your voice, um, especially in this context because um, there are a lot of things that you've said today that have reminded me of how just like brave and talented and just like all around just like exquisite you are as a human being and I'm just very grateful to you and and, and to have you in my life <laughs> she's making a frowning face that's why I'm laughing <laughs> because if anyone has ever had the pleasure of knowing Candace 
Otis. <laughs> she loves wrapping up like conversations with like, you know, just long, long, long <laughs> explanations of how she feels about you. And, and it's uncomfortable, but you know, I'm thankful. Because I'm telling you, wait for it. One day there's gonna be a panel of people and we're just gonna throw it at you and you can't say anything. Yeah, well, until that day comes, I'm gonna continue. Well, I'm also just a big believer in saying my feelings. Um, and especially the weight of the world these days, it's like never be afraid to tell people, especially if you love them, to tell them that you love them. Because I don't think that's something that people can hear enough, you know? Um, no matter how uncomfortable or, you know, resistant they may be about it. It's no matter what, girl, I'm gonna tell you that I love you every time I see you, you know? It was the way I was raised and it was also just the way that I feel. So I do appreciate you, your existence, and also just like you being present and being vulnerable and talking about yourself because it's amazing. <laughs> and you're amazing. And I treasure you. <laughs> This is me signing off. Uh, thanks again for coming out and listening to this week's episode. Uh, please follow my social media at Hungry Humble Pod on Twitter and Instagram for future episodes and notifications. You can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts or send feedback to HungryHumblePod at gmail.com if you're really feeling up for it. Um, all of this information will be down below in the description box. Y'all know what time it is. Uh, it is the dedication part of the podcast. Hopefully you guys are still listening. <laughs> um, I chose God Only Knows by the Beach Boys for Michelle Chen uh, for many reasons. One, anytime that song comes on, it brings me pure joy. And as does her existence <laughs> in my life and the impact that she has made Um Two, um, the lyrics kind of speak for themselves because Lord, uh, Lord knows <laughs> where I would be in this life without her because she has just been so gracious and kind and um, influential in my career and just me as a person. Like I owe her a lot. Um, I literally call her once a week uh, to ask her advice <laughs> uh, because I also call her my Yoda uh, because she is the wisest um, young person I've ever known. <laughs> She'd be dropping me some mad, um, mad um, thoughts and I and that has really like helped me um, strengthen and um, reflect on my own self um, worth and image. And I just thank her um, so much for just being such a beautiful and brave and kind individual. So I hope when she hears this, she thinks of me. <laughs> I hope she understands how much I me uh, she means to me. And um, yeah, this is uh, God Only Knows uh, by the Beach Boys, y'all. Please enjoy. But long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. God only knows what I'd be without you. 
Believe me, the life would still go on. Believe me. 